0: Welcome to This Week in Technology, the show where I bring you a week's worth of technology news in a short podcast format, aiming to bring you cutting-edge technology, embracing new trends, and world-changing events. I'm Ben Adamson, and I look forward to bringing you all of this in today's episode. Hello everybody and welcome to a special edition of This Week in Technology, where we'll have a look back at some of the legacy that David Bowie's left us in terms of the technology around the internet, obviously always at the forefront in terms of uh, his artistic endeavours. But some of the thinking that it caused me to have, I guess, was just looking back on how he was there in terms of a presence on the internet as I was certainly growing up and really at that forefront in terms of talking back in the days when we were very much in a in a dial-up world, beginning to have that direct connection and dialogue with fans, which we pretty much take for granted these days with all of the performing artists that are out there now. So from my own perspective, uh, talking about sort of being in, in my bedroom with my dial-up internet and connecting up to, at that time, what was bowie.net.com. Um, and then also the, the BowieArt.com, which also was just sort of a, a side business there or a side site where you could get that direct access to paintings and prints and statues, etc. That had been produced by Bowie himself. Um, really, I guess, collapsing maybe for, for one of the first times that access that people in their homes had to um, an individual of that stature. Uh, These days when we look at things like Twitter and Facebook and now the next generation when we talk about things like um, Periscope and Facebook Live, bringing into our lives what people are doing right now, I guess this was a totally different approach in that... um, things were brought to a different layer of abstraction. We could see exactly what the person was doing in terms of news. We knew that there was a direct correlation because um, Bowie himself owned the business, controlled the site, uh, and worked with a team of people to, to manage that content, um, but really not so much present in terms of making posts himself. So even with that Facebook or Twitter presence, we certainly didn't see that sort of um, internal side it was always very much um, the image presented as planned and then looked after by a team. But that's sort of natural in terms of, I guess, that idea that you had sort of this character of David Bowie as the performer, and then uh, he, as his natural self, would be be more that David Jones or, or him before he sort of produced this this phenomena. And he, he would sort of often make that differentiation as well. You'd see in interviews and things like that. So I guess... Um, creating that forum but then also being quite open about the fact that he was present in those forums so looking back over some of the interviews at that era you'd certainly see uh the confirmation that uh people's posts within those communities were being reviewed and that that he was actively a part of that and that he even had a number of usernames that he would use in posting uh, and that although a percentage of people maybe knew that that was him in that space that um Generally, he was anonymous in that forum. Uh, so I guess I remember uh, in terms of being able to to have that level of connection, and I was a member, um, so I, I would sort of uh, be involved in those those forums at that time. And we're talking now about sort of the late 90s, uh, the early 2000s. I think Bowie Net ran from about 1998 to 20, 2006. Um, the Bowie Art website is actually still there exactly as it was at the time so if you if you check that out um, all of the paintings and and prints etc that were available are um, still up it's noted obviously that they're sold and, and now unavailable and you can see now those those items coming back around on eBay and particularly at this time obviously at very inflated prices Um But, you know, there is that provenance of knowing that they came exactly from there and that they were controlled sort of by the man himself almost um, with no middleman. And look, obviously quite an unusual use of technology at that time. Another thing um, worthy of note is that the first completely downloadable track um, when The Heart's Filthy Lesson was released, that was released digital only at first. Um, And I can remember, I think, um, sort of purchasing that in a, a... augmented CD-ROM type thing on on the front of a magazine. So I think, you know, there was a recognition that uh, internet access wasn't quite there for some of these things. And um, also when there was a a broadcast or a global broadcast of of the Earthling concert at at one point, um, I know that that caused a lot of problems in terms of, you know, quickly oversubscribing what was possible with streaming at the time. But there was really that view to using whatever avenues were available and using them in the best possible way um, just to push that message. and I think importantly, being able to do that in a in a sort of a visually stylish way. Um, a way which maintained that overall image and we certainly see that flow through uh, when we look at things like the, the DVD releases of collections um, and um, things like the the original enhanced CDs. So I, I know sort of from that, um, that that sort of era as well when we look at things like Black Tie, White Noise, um, the deluxe editions which came with, I think at that time they were like SV CDs or Super Video CDs or whatever, you could put them in your DVD ROM player um, but yeah they were sort of a, a slightly different different affair. Um, but you certainly were getting you know a beautiful menu with beautiful soundtrack and then you'd get the, the videos as well. Um, a couple of the other offerings which I'd sort of at the time not been as aware of, but this week I've been playing um, Omicron the Nomad Soul, which is a, a game that was released and the soundtrack um, is produced and, and, and it has some Bowie tracks in there, but even the ambient music as well. Um, is very much um, David Bowie, and then uh, he is a character. I'm not up to that part in the game yet, so I'm not an expert there. But um, in terms of that that immersive experience, it still stands up very much today in terms of being uh, a game where you can, you know, get into it's a parallel universe type scenario where you're, you know, trying to solve a mystery like a, an interactive point and click type movie type experience. Um, but you know, in terms of uh, that overall experience, again, making sure that the, the visuals are right, the sound is right, that that whole experience is right, you sort of definitely get that that very stylish feel, uh, and obviously the the powerful sort of title track and some other bits and pieces that are that are going on there. Um, So from that point of view, you sort of had that sense that, you know, you could be involved uh, and really be immersed as a fan and that there was a sense of closeness or interconnectedness which came from that use of technology. Um, There was also, I remember too, uh, an offering where at one point you had a a CD-ROM where you could create a video clip um, for Jump They Say was the single, I think, um, where you could create a video clip of your own out of sort of custom clips and, and, and make that that look kind of uh the way you wanted um and i I think that that video clip is uh you know quite versatile in that way in terms of you had you know a number of different sort of storylines going on or aspects going on that you can sort of intermix um but look i think making that available for people in its raw form so that you can then work with it is something that we potentially hadn't seen before um and at that time too like i think early like early 2000s before garage band um There was sort of more niche products in terms of being able to mix um, songs. And I remember when Reality came out, uh, the Reality album, uh, you could definitely get all the different aspects of of some of the tracks there. Uh, I can't remember what the tool I had was. It was like just a little DJ tool. um, But you could get all of the different tracks and mix them the way you wanted and and, and that kind of stuff. So really being able to to get hands-on. So I guess, look, you know, you've sort of seen that was an early incarnation it was a precursor to things like facebook and twitter and certainly when we start to talk about those very um very close-up tools that we have now like when we talk about periscope facebook live where we're essentially you know we we have a a person who's who's holding a device in their own hand and they're, they're responsible for the broadcast um and we're getting things very unfiltered this was very much designed if you like um and we always saw that you know um there was an image there that was being cultured that, that we were being presented with, uh, and looking back. And I've certainly spent a bit of time over the last week or two looking back and it all just stands that test of time. Uh, and is a testament to the the quality and the thought process that was behind that. Uh, and I guess, you know, more recently the, where are, where are we now single, which came out as the, the next day album. So the last album, um, previous to the last album, the, the, the previous album, if you like, um, the way that that was brought into, into the internet culture, I guess, and really interesting to just sort of see how things have developed in terms of just by placing the track uh, in iTunes or placing the track on the the website and not doing any sort of additional marketing at first, you just get that viral spread and it's that person to person. Um, so recognizing that, you know, after a hiatus between albums and coming back with that one, recognizing that that's where the the internet was now was that you really did not need to, you know, have a whole lot of teaser information. You didn't really have to have an advertising campaign when you are, um, have that following it's the following itself that now is going to be able to perpetuate the spread uh, and the uptake of that that piece of art so um i think that was you know interesting to sort of see but also with that um you know being able to embrace that vivo kind of culture and that um that idea that you are providing essentially um to the streaming services all of your your product um certainly in terms of that uh, we see everything come quickly to, to things like Spotify and iTunes in, in most cases, but making sure that, you know, um, the video clips are released in a sequence which makes things enticing in terms of when the album comes out. And we certainly saw that with this final album in particular um, and knowing what we know now about how that was sort of staged around the idea that, um, you know, he was very ill uh, and that this was sort of going to potentially be to very much towards the end of his life. Uh I was sort of I guess like everybody else who was a fan across those um, video clips as they came out, which are you know sort of quite haunting and and there's a lot of themes there which are obviously related to uh death and humanity and um you know quite sort of laden with imagery and, and ideas uh and the way that we were sort of looking at those uh before the fact uh of his 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 death and the awareness of his illness and then Looking through them, looking at them, I guess through the prism of that uh, that idea that he'd been very ill and, and had subsequently died. So, I guess that the final thing in terms of being so far ahead of the curve or doing things which are unprecedented is the idea that he, there was a thought process going on that he was thinking about how uh, people around the world would experience his death potentially or experience. Um, the realisation that he was no longer there, uh, providing us with these sort of visual tools uh, or visual imagery along with the music and the tracks which would uh, and did end up uh, accompanying the, the sort of worldwide event or the shockwave that happened when it was announced that that he had died. Um, to me, that's sort of, you know, been amazingly impactful and something which I, I have not experienced before with any other artist, so the idea that someone can essentially design that, uh, make you know such beautiful uh, artwork which accompanies that that happening, um, and then leave us with these you know very intriguing, very haunting pieces of imagery, which you know as human beings um, we're going to have we're going to have that as a culture, something that's that's permanent that, that we can grab hold of and, and um, think about and, and sort of uh, have theories about what we think, you know, the meaning is there. Uh, so that's something that for, for decades, um, the boundaries were sort of pushed and obviously the thought process was obviously quite deep in, in what was being produced, both musically and visually um, and even just as a, as a personage. So, you know, the way that David Bowie had presented himself was always so, you know, so intriguing and, uh, and so interesting for people. And he was sort of, you know, um, resided in a different space, if you like to, to most people. Um, but I guess for me, uh, it's that combination of using all of the tools at his disposal. And for us as technologists, being able to have that overlay of looking back and just sort of saying, yeah, well, you know, he was so far ahead of the curve before we had social media, he was really creating his own social media or his own um, part of the internet, which, which gave him what he needed in terms of being able to put his message forward and to get that level of interaction, to interact directly with fans, uh, whether it was publicly or not. Uh, but to to create that awareness that he was directly interacting, and th- there was essentially no broker there, and providing us too with when we look back on some, there's the, there's a, a couple of interviews out there around um, his thoughts on the internet, and obviously incredibly forward thinking in terms of understanding that there the barriers between um, consumers of art and the artists were really going to come down and we were going to um have a much more direct relationship or and a direct understanding of what what people were doing you know day to day um and then i guess additionally looking at uh where things were going more broadly so in terms of copyright and the idea that music would become a utility type product that people would uh consume in with with great immediacy and that it would provide you know lots of problems in terms of people maintaining their control over copyright and he spoke very much about you know what will record labels actually do like why would you be signed up to a label when you can produce the music and the distribution mechanism is right there in the internet and that's very much something that we've seen unfold in in recent decades so you know we've had Napster we've had that um, distribution of, of MP3s become rife in terms of peer-to-peer and then we've ended up in a place where we now have services like Spotify, like iTunes, um, you know, like Google play, which provide us with that on demand access to music at a, at a reasonable cost. And then we have artists who are, um, you know, Against that, so there's a backlash you know artists like Taylor Swift who won 't provide their music on Spotify uh, etc, so sort of railing against that, but it's something that's been coming for a very long time, and it's only probably a you know a few that really recognised the extent to which that was going to have an effect um, so look thanks very much for for joining for the chat this week we'll return to sort of normal normal programming next week where we'll you know tend to have a look more at the technology news this is a bit of an unusual one. Um, And I look forward to talking to you then.